0: Hey there, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back. I'm so glad you're here today with me for the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today is episode 71, and we are going to be talking about seizures. But before we get into that, I wanted to just give a quick listener shout out to a podcast fan from Australia. And if you know me, you know how hard it was for me to not take on an affected Australian accent and say, mate, at the end of that sentence. (laughs) So I think that was because I watched that Crocodile Dundee movie way too many times back in the 80s. So our friend from Australia says, this is exactly what I was looking for. I've been searching high and low for a podcast on all things nursing, and straight A nursing has been exactly what I was looking for mo talks slowly and calmly making it easier to process and understand all the helpful information and covers all areas and then she goes on and on it's a really great review so thank you so much for that and she ends it by saying thank you so much for providing such an in-depth but not too complicated podcast series that is informative and enjoyable so I just want to say back to you thank you so much for rating and reviewing the podcast friend from Australia and if you you are out there and you are interested in getting a listener shout out, go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave a review, and maybe I'll give you a listener shout out on an upcoming episode. So today, again, it's episode 71, and we're talking about seizures. So if you guys are like me and didn't have a medical background, maybe you're thinking seizures are really rare and only occur in people who have epilepsy. Well, that's what I definitely thought before I was a nurse. My knowledge of seizures was basically what happened on TV and in the movies. But actually, seizures are, I wouldn't say they're common, but they're certainly not uncommon. They've got multiple causes and can present in a lot of different ways. So in this podcast episode, we'll talk about the basics of seizures how they're treated, and seizure nursing interventions to keep our patients safe. Because with seizures, safety really is the name of the game. So when you're developing care plans or working with a patient in the hospital who has seizures or a seizure history, as long as you're always thinking patient safety top of mind, you're going to do well and take excellent care of these patients. So we'll start by just talking about what a seizure is. So seizures are sudden and uncontrolled electrical disturbances in the brain. And these can range from mild disturbances to ones that are life-threatening. So when a patient has recurrent seizures, which is considered at least two or more, then we say that the patient has epilepsy. So what causes seizures in the first place? So like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, seizures really can happen for a lot of different reasons. So in addition to the patient just having that epilepsy, that predisposition for seizures, they can occur when the patient has a brain injury. So maybe they were involved in an accident, hit their head, got a brain injury definitely could have seizures as a result of that injury. Any kind of stroke could put the patient at high risk for seizure. That would be either your ischemic stroke, which is that clotting stroke, or that bleeding or hemorrhagic stroke. Both kinds can put your patients into that risk category for having a seizure. Hyponatremia, which is a low sodium level, extremely high risk for seizure in this instance. Alcohol withdrawal, and we're going to be doing an episode on alcohol withdrawal coming up in episode 75. So if that interests you, check back in a few weeks and listen to that. It's going to be incredible. Also methamphetamine use, hypoxia, the brain not getting enough oxygen can put the patient into a seizure. Brain tumors, any kind of space occupying lesion can make the patient have a seizure. And then there's medications that lower that seizure threshold. And a really great example of meds that do that and lower that seizure threshold are antidepressants. So now let's talk about the different types of seizures. So there's two main types of seizure. And these are your generalized seizures and your focal seizures. So we'll talk about generalized seizures first. And within that broad category, we have several subtypes. So the first that we'll talk about is that tonic-clonic seizure. This is also known as the grand mal seizure. This is what you have probably thought of when you thought about seizures in the first place. So if you've watched a movie and someone's having a seizure, they're always having the tonic-clonic type, more or less. So in this type of seizure, the patient will abruptly lose consciousness and their whole body will stiffen and shake. They could lose control of their bladder, their bowels, bite their tongue, and thrash about very violently and uncontrollably. So remember when I mentioned patient safety? Very, very key here with this type of seizure. We want to definitely keep this patient safe because they could have an injury very easily. And then we have tonic seizures. So this type of seizure will cause the muscles to stiffen. And that's usually going to be the muscles of the back, the legs, and the arms. So imagine if your patient is standing and they have a tonic seizure. What do you think could happen? Definitely high risk for falling down. So even though they're not necessarily having that thrashing about that's in the tonic-clonic type, they can be very high risk for falls if that seizure occurs while they're standing or even while they're sitting. So again, you're always thinking patient safety. The next type of seizure we'll talk about are the clonic seizures. So in a clonic seizure, the patient's going to have repeated rhythmic jerking of the muscles. This is often the face, the neck, and the arms. Then there's myoclonic seizures. These typically will have a very sudden onset of brief twitches or jerks of the legs and the arms. And then we have something called atonic seizures. So sometimes you might hear these called drop seizures. They involve just a sudden loss of muscle control and the patient as a result suddenly drops or collapses. And then the other type of generalized seizure is an absence seizure. And you may also hear this one called petite mal seizures. So this type of seizure occurs most often in children and how it exhibits is the individual just kind of staring off into space. They may have subtle body movements. Sometimes there's no body movements, but if they are present, it's typically eyes blinking or lip smacking. So again, those are the generalized seizures. Let's just run them down real quick. So tonic-clonic was the grand mal seizure. That's the classic. Seizure with the patient thrashing about. Then tonic seizure is that sudden stiffening. I want you to be aware that falling would put the patient at very high risk for injury here. And then clonic seizure is repeated or rhythmic jerking, most often face, neck, arms. Myoclonic are sudden onset, brief twitches or jerks of legs and arms. Atonic is that drop seizure where they suddenly collapse, and then absent seizure, the petite mal seizure, is staring off into space, maybe smacking lips and blinking eyes. So those were all generalized seizures. The other main type of seizure is called a focal seizure, and there's two types here that we'll talk about. These occur with impaired awareness and without impaired awareness. So a focal seizure with impaired awareness, basically the patient has a change in awareness or a total loss of consciousness. The patient may be staring off into space and have abnormal repetitive body movements such as walking in circles, rubbing their hands together, chewing, something like that. And then we have focal seizures without impaired awareness, and these seizures often Often cause that individual to experience a change in their emotions or in the way things look, smell, taste, or feel. So the patient may suddenly feel tingling or see flashing lights or even get very dizzy. So again, patient safety. These focal seizures without impaired awareness can occur with or without involuntary body movements as well. So as you can see, there are a lot of different types of seizures. It's not always that tonic-clonic seizure, though Of the seizures I've seen in the hospital setting, I would say that's probably the most common one that I've seen, and then um, that absence seizure as well. Okay, so now let's talk about nursing interventions for seizure, and this will help you when you're developing care plans for seizure patients or patients at risk for seizure and in taking those exams. So... When your patient has a seizure, especially the really dramatic type, it can be really scary. So I want you to very, just always be very top of mind thinking about patient safety. And even though I know you probably might have the urge to run and get help when your patient's having a seizure, I want you to stay with your patient. You do need to get help. I promise you, if you yell for help really loud and you're in the hospital, someone's going to hear you and multiple nurses will come running. So stay with your patient. The other nursing interventions for a patient that is having a seizure is you definitely want to make sure their airway is protected, especially with those tonic-clonic seizures. So patients having a seizure are at high risk for aspiration. So saliva can run down the back of their throat. They could vomit and then aspirate that. So you want to As much as you can, position the patient onto their side. I realize if they're having a tonic-clonic seizure, this might be incredibly difficult and you don't want to cause extra harm to the patient or to yourself. But if it is possible, the patient can be positioned onto their side so that those secretions don't run down the back of their throat into their lungs. They just run out the side of their mouth. You might think, I'll just put a suction catheter in their mouth and suction everything out of their mouth. Probably not a good idea. Patients with seizure can have incredibly strong um, jaw-clenching motion, and they could damage their teeth, bite off part of a suction catheter, and then choke on that. So don't put a suction catheter into the patient's mouth while they're having a seizure. Some places may say that it's okay for you to place a nasopharyngeal airway or what might be called a nasal trumpet in your facility, that just goes into the nose and then down into the pharyngeal space. And through that, a thin flexible suction catheter could be uh, inserted to get any secretions out of that oral pharynx. Again, if the patient's having a grand mal seizure, that would be incredibly difficult to do. You also want to Provides supplemental oxygen. So hypoxia can not only cause a seizure, it can also happen while the seizure is occurring. So extra oxygen via a face mask or an ambu bag if the patient isn't ventilating is going to help them either overcome a hypoxia that caused the seizure or keep it at bay during the during that seizure. And again, safety. Very key component of all of your nursing interventions. So if you're in the middle of this stressful event, I want you to just be thinking along the lines of what can I do to keep this patient safe. So for example, if the patient is on a hard surface, like a a tile floor, you could place a blanket under their head. Their head could be thrashing about quite violently. If you place something soft under their head, it's going to protect their head from serious injury. If there's any objects that are nearby that you can move, move them out of the way. If you're in a really tight space, like a bathroom, You can put pillows or something against the walls or the commode or whatever it is that's nearby that they may be banging their arms and legs against. So just think patient safety. If your patient is at risk for seizures, then they're going to have something called seizure precautions in place. And seizure precautions are typically... A bundle of elements that, when performed together, can help keep your patients safe if they do have a seizure. So, usually, that refers to things like having padded side rails on the bed. We call those seizure pads at my hospital. Ensuring oxygen is functional at the bedside. Definitely ensuring suction is set up and working and always ready to go in an instant at the bedside. You want to keep that bed in its lowest position so that. The patient does fall out of the bed. They are not falling very far. There are some beds in the hospital that are almost essentially right above the floor. So that would be a really great type of bed to have for a patient who has a high risk for seizure. So just all of those precautions are in place to keep the patient safe. And then we can give medications during the seizure to stop it, and typically the MDs will order a benzodiazepine of some kind, like lorazepam, midazolam, or uh, diazepam, so Ativan, Versed, or Valium, are typically ones that you'll see ordered for during the seizure. We'll give different medications to help prevent seizure, and we'll talk about those in a moment. So what happens to the patient after the seizure? So the period after the seizure is called the postictal state, and this state will persist until the patient has returned to their baseline status. So the length of time for that is going to vary a lot depending on the severity of the seizure, what type of seizure Etc. And again, during this period, we're still thinking patient safety. So, a lot of times in this post ictal state, patients will be hyped. very subdued, maybe sleeping a lot, but they could be hyperactive as well. And when this occurs, we call that postictal delirium. And if it's really severe, postictal psychosis. So if the patient's hypoactive, you want to make sure they can protect their own airway. So keeping them lying on their side is a nice, easy intervention to help keep those secretions from running down the back of their throat. The patient could be be very subdued and withdrawn, like I said, showing signs of lethargy, detachment, and again, extreme sleepiness is not uncommon. Now that hyperactive post-ictal state that can be the delirium to psychosis. So think of it kind of as a continuum. So you want to make sure the patient is safe at all times. They could be very agitated. They could even be violent. So unfortunately, the best treatments for a post-ictal psychosis, there's not really any that are well-defined. And many medications that you would typically use to treat psychosis can lower the seizure threshold, making the patient more likely to have another seizure. So those antipsychotic medications probably not going to be used here. So the patient may need frequent reorientation. They may need to have a sitter if they're very at risk for danger to themselves or others. So how are we going to treat seizures in advance, meaning prophylactically prevent seizures from occurring. So seizure medications work by raising the seizure threshold, meaning it makes it harder for that brain to go into that uncontrolled electrical electrical disturbance. So this could be a whole blog post all on its own talking about seizure medications. We will just talk very briefly about some of the common ones that you'll see in the clinical setting. And I will probably butcher the generic names for these because, it's one of those things where you see the name and you start pronouncing it a certain way in your head, and then years later, the pharmacists will say it out loud, and you'll think, that is not how I was saying that in my head this whole time. So that's why I just wanted to warn you guys, I may be pronouncing these differently than how you will hear them in clinical. But the first one is Leviteracetam. Also known as Kepra, the reason I can't pronounce levetiracetam is because I always just call it Kepra because that's a heck of a lot easier to say. So this is a medication that is available in IV form and as a pill. So after the patients had a neurological insult, let's say they've had a stroke, and the neurologist is going to start them on Kepra to prevent seizures from happening. So the patient may still be very neurologically. Subdued or unable to swallow right after the stroke. So they're going to start on their Kepra as an IV medication and then transition to PO medication when they can swallow pills or maybe they get a feeding to place and then they can get it through um, their feeding tube as well. Just know that Keppra can cause dizziness, fatigue, and weakness. So it's definitely one of those medications that if your patient is starting on it for the first time, you want to make sure that they don't take their Keppra and then go do anything that could be dangerous for them if they're suddenly overcome with dizziness, fatigue, or weakness. And then another drug that you'll see quite common is Fenituan, Fenituan, see, can't pronounce it, dilantin. How about we call it dilantin? So dilantin is used for treatment of tonic-clonic seizures and complex partial seizures. So dilantin will enter the breast milk and cross the placenta, so it's not likely to be used in patients who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Some really common side effects with Dilantin are ataxia. It can cause low blood pressure. It can cause double vision, nausea, and gingival hyperplasia. So that last one, that gingival hyperplasia, is really common side effect, and it seems to be the one that will be on the exams. And basically what happens is the gums get very inflamed and causes them to lose their teeth and maybe even more than just inflamed. I'm looking at the word hyperplasia and I'm thinking that's more than just inflammation. The ultimate end result is that the patient loses their teeth. I also want you to be aware that dilantin or pheny. Toin, if I'm saying it right, can cause a severe dermatologic condition called Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And then another drug that I will mispronounce is phosphenitoin, also called Cerebix. So this drug is used for short-term control of generalized seizure if the patient's not really able to tolerate Dilantin. So the side effects are pretty common, including that Stevens-Johnson syndrome potential. So, let's talk very quickly about seizure and pseudo seizure. And this came up at work the other day. So, it is definitely something that you'll hear people talking about. So, if you hear a patient's seizure activity described as a pseudo seizure, I do not want you to think that that means the patient was faking their seizure. Absolutely not the case. Fake seizures are their own thing altogether. A pseudo-seizure is simply a seizure that was caused by a psychological problem, not a neurological problem. It's considered a non-epileptic seizure. It is just as real, and the risks to the patient are just as real. So the treatments for pseudo-seizure will vary. Rather than giving drugs to the patient to raise their seizure threshold— Pseudo-seizure is treated by addressing that underlying psychological problem. So patient may get therapy, may get prescribed antidepressants, or any other medications aimed at treating that underlying disorder. So let's talk just really quick before I close out about what it is like living with a seizure disorder. A book that I had to read for my pediatric course, I believe is when I had to read it, was called The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down. And a lot of you may have already read this book. If you're interested in hearing what seizure disorder life is like for a family of a child, check out this book. Not only does it take you into the whole puzzle and complex treatment of a seizure disorder. It also explores how cultural barriers make managing complex illness really difficult. So you'll learn a lot about epilepsy management and also how healthcare workers can strive for cultural competency and how important that is. So it's a great book, and I absolutely highly recommend it. So that does it for us today for talking about seizures. I hope that was helpful to you. And if you have any questions, you can reach out at hello at straightanursingstudent.com. I am always happy to hear from you guys and provide you help in any way that I can. And I've been getting a lot of emails from you guys asking when the next version of the nursing student planners will be available. And they should be up now on the website and in the Etsy shop. So go to straightanursingstudent.com, click on planners at the top navigation bar, and it will take you where you need to go to get one. So I know... A lot of you are asking if we will have the printed ones available, and we are not doing them pre-printed right now for a few different reasons. One of them is mainly because I'm in graduate school and fulfilling orders and doing all of that just takes up so much of my time. And what happens is I spend my time doing that and I don't spend time creating meaningful content for you guys like podcast episodes and blog posts. So it really just takes me away from helping you guys actually get through school. And the second reason is that printing costs and postage costs were just going absolutely through the roof. So I had to make a conscious decision if I was going to be able to continue providing you with those planners, and what the best way to do that would be. So we decided that offering them as digital downloads PDF files enables a lot of you to print them at home, which is a lot cheaper than having them printed or you could have them printed at the place that a lot of my customers use, which I provide information on that as well. And some people just download them or upload them rather to their iPads and use them that way. So this is really enabling us to continue offering them and giving you some different options for how you use them. So they will be available as PDF downloads, they should be available now. And then the other format that we're working on is an optimized for GoodNotes or Notability iPad usage form. So keep an eye out for that. It won't be out just yet. It will be coming a little bit later because it's a little bit more of a technological learning curve that it is something that we are getting together. And the printing company that a lot of my customers use will print it, they will spiral bind it, they will laminate the cover and send it to you and it is really great. And so if you're looking for information about that, I'm sure there's some reviews on Etsy from people who ha- that had done it that way. The only thing, the difference is that it doesn't have the tabs, but it's a small price to pay for getting a great planner that still fits within your budget and helps you make the most of your busy nursing school life. So if you're not sure, again, where to get those, go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on planners in the top navigation bar. So again, thanks for listening, everyone. I invite you to come back next week where we will be talking about a pharmacology podcast episode on reversal agents. So if you give a drug and you gave too much, is there a way to reverse that medication? Sometimes the answer is yes. So I'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations, and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.